So it's March Madness. Woohoo! Um, I, I hate to admit this, but um, I'm not much of a basketball fan. And, you know, I played basketball in high school. I uh, had a stellar record. I, I scored 12 points the whole season. That's right. Ten minutes of playing time the whole season or something ridiculous like that. No, I do. I, I, I like, I like a basketball. Um, I, I like the colors of the uniforms are great. <laughs> Go Shockers. <sighs> Sorry, I know, I know. Um, black and gold, that was my college colors. Um, I'm colorblind. I don't know if you know this. And so uh, we were watching in Old Town on Friday night. Went to watch a little bit of the game, you know. We live in Kansas. We're going to like, whoo, go basketball. <sighs> so this family walks in. I was like, oh, look at all the pretty blue shirts. They're not all blue. They're purple. <laughs> They're purple. And there was one little Lone Ranger, and he was in his blue shirt. He was a KU. Was it the other way around? No, he was in purple, and they were in blue. KU, K-State. I know this. Yes. So anyway, um, yeah, so I struggle with the colors. So anytime that, anywho, you don't really need to know that. That wasn't even part of what I was going to say, but um, go basketball. March Madness. It's cool. No, um, it's good to be together today. Uh, we're so glad that you are with us this morning. Um, we are journeying through the book of Mark and uh, learning about Jesus and what he did for us on this earth. And um, the key ideas in Mark, Mark is believed to be the first gospel written about the life of Jesus, and he uh, writes as like a first responder, like the first one on the scene to record the life of Jesus. And if you read any of the other gospels, you'll notice that the writers of those gospels will tell part of the story, and they'll reach back, they'll, they'll, they'll write it in, in, in remembering the story. Um, but Mark really just tells the story um, as it happened, as he chose to report it. So it highlights the big pieces of, of Jesus and his story. And so there are some key pieces for us to um, highlight as we look at it as a whole story. And it fits um, our vision as a church, fits right in line with what Mark has said in his gospel. So the first part of it, we know this be known piece. Jesus starts his ministry in, uh, in the first chapter in Mark in his baptism. And Jesus calls him. He says, you are my son in whom I am well pleased. We know we find our place in that story because when we claim the name Jesus, we are also called the children of God as well. And so we watch this journey as Jesus is uh, baptized and he begins his ministry. And we know at his baptism, the Trinity is introduced. So we see from the very beginning that Jesus is community. By his very nature, who he is, is community. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He embodies community. And right as he is sent out into his mission, he gathers people in community. And so this belong piece of our vision is that we follow the model that Jesus set. And he gathered people around him. He showed them how to live, showed them how to love. And that is what we do. We try to learn about Jesus, about God, and we try to live into that in community so we belong to a place. And we are a sent group. We are a called group, and we are sent to do what? To love 
to show people love with our lives. And Jesus modeled that. Each of us have been given passions and we've been given gifts uniquely to build up God's kingdom. There is so much need around us and hurt and loneliness. And the answer is not more government. The answer is not more educated pastors. The answer is you. You are the answer. You are called for a purpose. You are given a reason to be here. Each time um, you step out the door of your house, you head into a mission field. You are missionaries right where you live. Now, you're here this morning. You're here together. And do you know why? Do you know what God has gifted you with? Do you know your purpose? Do you know why you've chosen this community? Why you're in El Dorado in the year 2018? It's not an accident that we're here. Sometimes we just can't quite understand what's in front of us. See, we are all on different stages of a journey, okay? Um, A journey is is either either you have begun the journey, maybe you've stalled on the journey, maybe maybe you are just, you're in it, and you are going forward. But we are all on different stages of our journey. And the fact that we are in here today, our paths have crossed, and we have met here on this journey. We said several weeks ago that some of us are tired um, and that we need to rest. Sometimes we just need to rest. Life is tough. The disciples modeled that for us. Jesus sent them out, and uh, when they came back to Jesus, they, they were tired, and he said, Jesus gave them permission. He said, rest. And then what did they do after they rested? They got back up and got back at it, right? Um, so many of you in this space today would call Hope Covenant Church your church home. You would call it your family. You say, I love going to church there. It makes me happy. I love Sundays. Um, it fills me up. I, I have called these people my home and my family. Um, you, you would you potentially use words like, I just, my soul gets fed there. That is a word that we use a lot in the, in the Christian community. They'll talk about You'll hear people talk about going to churches where you get fed. Or conversely, sometimes you'll hear people say, I wasn't getting fed anymore, so therefore I, uh, I left. A lot of times people make that decision solely on their Sunday morning experience. Two hours a week out of 168 available hours, two hours have been the basis of your soul's nourishment. See, we can't put our soul's nourishment on the shoulders of the church gathered on Sundays. Because over time, you won't feel like you're getting fed anymore. It's just not enough time. You're going to need more. And the easy thing for people to do is to blame the church, blame pastor or the music or the people. And, um, but that isn't really what we have found to be true. Uh, statistically, when they ask people why they've left church or what is the reason for them to stop going to one church and go to a next, uh, next one, you might already know this, it's because they lack connections with people. They'll come to church and they just feel lonely or left out. They don't feel connected to this body of believers. Part of that is on them, but part of it's on us. Would you agree? So it's important for us to understand when we, when we have these conversations is where are you on your journey? Because what I'm going to say this morning will not apply to every person in this room. It just depends on where you're sitting on your journey. 
Um, if you're just beginning, I am so glad you're here. It is so fun to be doing this with you. Um, keep, keep it up. For some of us who've been on a journey for a long time in this room, I'm, I'm afraid that uh, we might have um, gotten confused along the way for how we're supposed to exist as a church. We might be missing the point. Now, this is not just Hope Covenant Church. This is the church in general in the United States, okay? Um, I want to say something this morning, and I think it might be hard for you to hear. So I'm just warning you. I, I think it might make you mad. Some of you, your, your cheeks might get red and flushed and hot, and then, and then you're going to be, like, mad, and you're not going to want to, like, listen to me anymore, and then, and then you're going to just shut down because I said this thing, and it just it's really ticked you off, okay? So um, don't do that, okay? <laughs> you're going to miss out. So, so just listen to me. It's a little risky, but here it goes, okay? You ready? Don't shut me down. Ready? Those of us who've been on the journey for a while, you ready? You're holding your breath. Sundays, this thing we're doing here, it's not for you. Ouch. The Sunday thing we're doing, the coffee, the worship, the teaching, the offering, is not for you. Okay, now don't shut down. Hold on. Let me unpack this for a minute. Of course Sunday's for you. Of course it is. This is where we come. It's ground zero, right? I mean, we believe, like, we come to the church to, um, to get, get teaching. We come to, um, to serve. We come to experience community. We come to give of our offering. We come to worship God. Okay, so of course Sunday is for you. But... You just said Sunday's not for you. So what, what, are, what are you trying to say? Okay, so stick with me, all right? 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 19 says this, and you can read along with me up on the screen. It says, just as one body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body. God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? You are a part of this body. You are a necessary part of this body. When you aren't here, you are missed. When you just aren't feeling it or you're starting to feel disconnected and you just pull away or you withdraw, the rest of the body suffers. It would be like saying to my, my digestive system, I don't need you. Just relax. Or your metabolism. Some of us have already started to experience that. <laughs> metabolism goes to sleep and you're like, no, you can keep working. That's fine. Um, but Sundays, Sundays aren't for you. Sundays aren't for me. Sundays are for we. 
Sundays aren't for me. Sundays are for we. Me is a part of the we. But um, it's, that's, a, that's a big distinction to make for us. When you're not here, you're missed. The me is a part of the we. You know, God is concerned, obviously concerned, about our redemption individually. He's crafted us in a body, each uniquely possessing a few spiritual gifts, and these gifts, when joined together in church community, comprise the full set of abilities able to accomplish God's great vision for this church, for his church, for his kingdom. So when believers, when we view ourselves only as individual entities in relationship with God, when we only focus on the me, we fracture the body. We handicap ourselves in service, and we we distort this picture that Christ has created of himself. So I had a little fun with the me-we thing here. here. Here it is, okay. So the church, it's not about me. It's about he who saved we and assembled we together in he. We're gonna say it. To, we're gonna say it together. Ready? Okay. Ready? The church is not about me. It is about He who saved we and assembled we together in He. Yeah. Right. It's pretty good. <laughs> but we get lost in this this misconception. You know, we we um we get confused about what it really looks like to be a disciple. Well, how does it work to be a disciple of Jesus, to claim Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior? I mean, how many of you, I grew up in the Baptist church, and we claimed Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. I mean, that was like, it, absolutely. It's about a personal relationship with Jesus, but it's more than that. And we are called to a body, and you, you here, you are a part of this body. And every part of this body matters. You matter. You matter. So we've been studying the book of Mark this week, and I want to pick up in Mark 10, verses 32 through 45 here in just a minute. But this is where the disciples are on their way to Jerusalem, where Jesus is predicting his death the third time. Um, Mark does a great job of showing how Jesus disciples the 12 that he's with. Um, He laid out what it means to be a disciple in these three predictions of his death, that he gave to his disciples, he has this really interesting pattern. Um, it's a discipleship plan. And here's, here's what we see in the pattern in all three of these predictions. There's a journey. There's a cross. There's a culprit. There's confusion. And there's clarification. And this is really, I, I had a blast doing this, so I hope that you enjoy it with me. But, um, okay, so... He's with these guys. We're going to take him right up to their journey into Jerusalem where they're going into Palm Sunday. So the first time he predicts his death is in Mark 8, 27 through 33. And so you can see here I put the connections in in yellow there. So journey. Um, Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Now, just so you know, in the in this, uh, in this time, the way um, the church that was assembled in Acts um, was called the way. Journey is uh, 
the way of Jesus was a mark of the church, of the early church. And so we see this here. Um, so, so then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great, here comes the cross, suffering. He's telling them they're suffering. And be, here's the culprit, rejected by who? By the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes. Be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all of this quite openly. Now here comes the confusion. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Because, see, um, this is Jesus. He's the king. He's rebuking him because he's saying, you're going to rule over everyone. You're the Messiah. Like, what are you talking about? So he rebukes him. So Jesus clarifies, clarification. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. For you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves. So what does that mean? Like, take the focus off me. And take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. Those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. Okay, so the second time we move on, Mark 9 30 through 35. There's the journey. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. So they're, they're on their way. They're always on the move, always moving. He didn't want anyone to know it, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is to be, comes across, betrayed into who? Human hands. Human hands. This covers all humans. Um, they will kill him, and three days after being killed, he will rise again. Here comes a confusion. But they did not understand. Wait a second. What? What was he saying? And they were afraid to ask him. And I love this. Okay. So then they come to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another who was the greatest. Now think of this. Jesus has told them that he's going to die. He's going to be murdered. And they're not arguing over how to fix it and make it better. What are they arguing over? Like, who's better? Who's going to be number one? And so Jesus clarifies. He, uh, he sits them down. He calls the 12 to them, and he says what? He says, whoever wants to be first must be last and servant of all. You're not going to be the greatest. You're going to be serving. Others will be above you. But this is not at all the way things are in the world, right? If you're great, you're number one. Status, success, number one. It, later on in that, in that passage there, he says, anyone who welcomes a child in my name welcomes me. So he, 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 he shows that his access to him is even kids, even kids. It was beautiful, beautiful. Okay, so the third time, and this is where we get to the point in the story um, right before they get to Jerusalem. Uh, Mark 10 says, uh, they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. He took the 12 aside and began to tell them what was going to happen to him. Again, third time. He says, see, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over to chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and they will hand him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit upon him and flog him and kill him, and after three days, he will rise again. And then we see the confusion. 
James and John, sons of Zebedee, came forward. They were also known as the sons of thunder. They came forward to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it that you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. I want to stop for a minute there. Just, I think, a little comedy that that Mark does a very good job. Um, Jesus has just said he's going to die. He's going to be flogged and killed. And And they say, hey, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever you ask. I mean, how many of you can relate? Like, your kids would be like, hey, mom, you do me a favor? And you don't say yes right away. You say, what do you want? You know, and then you wait for them to tell you. Jesus says the same thing here. They said, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. And he says, what is it that you want for me to do for you? They say, grant us, sit at your hand, left and right hand at, in your glory. So Jesus clarifies here. He says, but you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, we are able. Then Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand and my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared. See, despite the inappropriateness of their request, and it was very inappropriate, Jesus doesn't rebuke James and John. He asks them, are you able to drink of the cup or baptize with my baptism? These are dense and difficult words for the disciples. See, the cup is representative of God's wrath. And we see that in the garden when um, Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane. And prophet Isaiah talks of it as well. Jesus takes the full force of God's wrath on himself. And the baptism of Jesus at the beginning, the dying of the self and raising to new life, this baptism was when Jesus was called into the vocation. His calling was the purpose to suffer. Not to be greatest and lord over all people, but to call to suffer. He was born to die. See, this is a big statement. And, and, and they say, yeah, we're able to share in your cup and your baptism. Sweet. That's awesome. They have no idea what they are agreeing to. And Jesus' response is pretty sharp. He says, you don't know what you're asking. To participate in my glory, you must also participate in my suffering in my painful destiny. James and John and the other 10 misunderstood Jesus, I think exactly the same way that we misunderstand him today. See, we want all the glory of Jesus without the cross. We want it to be as easy and painless as possible. But that is not the way of discipleship. Palm Sunday, this triumphant march into Jerusalem, this victory march, it's a little different than what they were expecting. You know, it wasn't the kind of victory they were hoping for. Um, they, they, they were uh, they asking to sit on the right and the left side of Jesus' glory because they thought that they were walking into Jerusalem for victory, right? The palms are going to be laid down and they're going to be singing Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. What they don't realize is that at Jesus' right hand, And his left hand will be two thieves on two separate crosses. And the crown that Jesus will wear as Lord of all will be a crown of thorns. 
as he hangs on the tree. See, I think they were thinking Jesus was speaking metaphorically. Like, oh, it's going to be hard, but we'll get through it. We'll come out on top in the end. So as I continue to look through this, I said, then, then they, they got confused at Jesus' clarification. Because it says, when the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. I think they were angry because they wanted those seats for themselves. They still didn't get it. You know, despite Jesus rebuking Peter uh, for the first time, despite him teaching on all that they have to deny, taking up their cross, losing their life, uh, the first being last, the disciples are still fantasizing over their place in the kingdom, over their position of privilege. So then Jesus re-clarifies to them. He says, okay, guys, come on back. Come on back, come back. Let's go over this again. He says, you know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. It is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, to served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The disciples were with Jesus. They were watching and learning. They were getting an education. They were they had like on-the-job training with like the ultimate, ultimate leader. But Jesus says, the time is about to come where you are going to be left to serve this kingdom. You are heirs to my kingdom. That's going to be real different than you think. See, the first are going to be last. That's very different than what our world tells us then and today. This pattern of life as a disciple is different than what the surrounding culture tells us and what told them. What it told them. So we're entering Holy Week, and um, we have the beautiful ability to um, to have Scripture and to know what happens. But they didn't. You know, when they, when they finally understood what was going on, it was after he was resurrected. It was after they laid eyes on him again. It wasn't until they got to see him again that they understood. If you read in the other Gospels, like in John, we see that they say, he predicted, he said that they'll tear down the temple, he'll rise in three days, and, and then he says, oh, that's right. When they saw him, they said, oh, he predicted this. That's what he was talking about. So as we read scripture, we ask, okay, God, what, what, what have you done and what are you doing? And we ask God to read us through scripture as we read it. And so I want us to ask ourselves these questions again, as though um, Jesus isn't predicting his death to us, what he's doing right now in this moment today in 2018, as we enter Holy Week like the disciples were. His, you know, if, if we were to write a fourth section of a, of a prediction of his death, I think it would be a, a, a prediction of the journey or just a layout of our journey. And so I want us to ask these questions. The disciples in the room, I want to ask you. The not yet disciples, I want to ask you too. It starts with a journey. Where are you on the journey? Have you started it? Have you stalled? 
Are you running the race? What about the cross? What do you understand about the cross? Do you understand the meaning of it? The cross is where Jesus paid it all. He laid down his life for you no matter what you have done, no matter how far you have messed up or wandered off the path. There's nothing you have done or could ever do that would separate Christ's love for you. You are forgiven and you are free. The cross is Jesus' love on display his surrender, and his suffering for you for your eternity. Understanding this and accepting this, that is the key to each of our journeys. we got to claim it and understand it and know our place in it. And so as we think of this culprit, and I don't really love that word, but I liked the C's to kind of all work out there. Um, uh, this culprit, you, me, we. Um, I don't know if you know that old traditional hymn, Were You There?, Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Um, I'm not going to sing the whole thing. I I love that one, though. Um, The three predictions that that Jesus gave uh, talks about who were responsible for Jesus' death. The first prediction, it was at the hands of the Jewish, Jewish religious leaders. The second prediction, he was delivered into human hands. So kind of everyone... The third prediction reiterates the Jews, the Gentiles, the religious, the political. Um, But in the total sweep of all three of those predictions, all of humankind are implicated in the death of Jesus. And so when we think of the cross and we think of the significance of it and who was the cross for, I ask you this, were you there? And no, sure, we weren't there on the historical timeline but we know that Jesus exists outside of time and that he died on that cross for the sins of the world yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So yes, you were there. Yes, he died on that cross for you, for your sins. Unselfishly, his love poured out for each and every one of us. And so the confusion, like, like the disciples, we, just, we don't understand all the time, but eventually we will see. We don't understand fully what it means to be a disciple. How, do we, how does this all play out in 2018? How do we live in the world and not of it? And, and how do we exist as a body of believers in this place? Because the world tells us to focus on me, myself, and I. It, it is our tendency to focus inward. We think about our own spiritual cup and our own spiritual nourishment, and so often it ends there. We think this cross thing is so that Jesus can be our personal Lord and Savior. And that we think other people's, this is, this is hard. We think that other people's relationship with Jesus isn't our business. I hear people say, well, what they believe it doesn't really matter to me. That's their business. We think, you know, we are free. God gives us the ability to be free And what we choose, choose this day whom you will serve. But we can't think that this whole thing we're doing is just for me, for my own benefit. See, it does matter what other people think. We should care if a friend or a loved one doesn't believe. We should care if they've chosen to walk away or if their lives are lived in opposition to Jesus. It should bother 
you. It should bother me. And unfortunately, Christians have gotten a bad rap for this part because we've been loud and we've been unloving and critical and judgmental and we've gotten it wrong. Because like our beloved disciples who were with Jesus, they got it wrong too. So we're in good company. Um, But we do need to care. What other people believe does matter. If we embrace the cross, if we share in the cup and the baptism of Jesus, then we have been called to love, and we show that love by serving others. We show people the, the, the beauty of balancing and modeling truth and grace. Jesus modeled it this way. Jesus laid it out for us. He was gentle and he was humble. He didn't flex his like spiritual muscles. That's what um, John calls Facebook um, when people get into uh, political, um, religious arguments on Facebook. He says, oh, look, they're flexing their spiritual muscles on Facebook because they'll say things that they would never say to your face. You know that? I think Jesus is like all the time like, oh, people, stop. Be careful. Um, so clarification, this, this disciple thing, how does this work out? Um, Jesus did die for you. You matter. Your, your redemption as an individual matters. Despite the inappropriateness of James and John and the disciples, Jesus rebukes. He sets them straight. He gets it right. Today, the gospel is often presented as a no-risk offer. Follow Jesus in order to stay out of trouble. Get get into heaven. Stay out of hell. (laughs) Jesus challenges any simplistic, self-centered understanding of discipleship. Am I right? Getting right by God, coming to Jesus, is not just by having an orderly life. In fact, discipleship often means more trouble. John and I have often said that Jesus wrecked our lives in a good way. But it was disruptive. It was hard. It still is. Um, But true discipleship is not characterized just by me. It's characterized by we. A costly pouring out of one's life for the other whether it be an aging parent or a difficult spouse. I know what that means. Just kidding. I love you. Um, A special child or another member of the Christian community who has just unusual needs and might just demand a little bit more of your time. Or that situation that elicits a neighborly response next door. Jesus came to serve and to give his life. Anyone who contemplates following Jesus without fear and trembling might not have a full understanding of true discipleship. Martin Luther said, a religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. Journeying with Jesus, this journey we're on, it should challenge your basic values. It should challenge it because we're confronted with contemporary, what the contemporary culture tells us is good. But the measure of success in our world is very different than the measure of success in the kingdom of God. And Jesus' standard is so much better. 
so much more fulfilling. Gosh, I don't know, some, sometimes I just get so sick of me. It's so nice to focus on we. And so often when we focus on we, the me seems so much less hard. God made us to serve others. Calling men and women to conscious and costly decisions all along the way. Jesus' words that he said to his disciples, not so with you. Not so with you. Not so with you. This life is different. Your life will be different as my disciple. That phrase established this permanence of submission by the disciples. Imitation of Christ as a pattern of discipleship means a life of service, a life of service that points the world not to me, not to we, but ultimately to he, right? All that we do is for God's glory. To God be the glory. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his life. And the disciples that walked with him, with fear and trembling and amazement, we thank you for the, the model they set forward for us. We thank you for the writers of the Bible who could be so vulnerable and so honest. God, sometimes we are, we are stuck in how to do this disciple thing right and we get it wrong, thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us through it and being with us and guiding us. Thank you for this community here. Thank you for so many people in this room who do understand the difference between the me and the we. God, in each of our steps, show us the way, the true path to discipleship and following you. In your name we pray, amen. You know, oftentimes when um, I uh, listen to a sermon or uh, I'm even writing my own sermon, uh, I'll, I'll get to the very end and, and I'll ask a question. I'll, I'll say, so what? You know, so, so what does this mean for us today? And, uh, and so I wanted to pose that question because I think that's an important question for us uh, to think about as uh, we prepare to leave uh, this room today and go out to uh, the world and engage in our lives and everything. So, so what? And, and I wanted to address um, a couple different groups. Um, the first group is the not yet disciples. The, this is the group that Amber talked a little bit about just a moment ago. And, uh, and I want to say, if you're a not yet disciple, if you have been brought here and you're just not sure about this whole God thing and Jesus thing and what's this all about, you know, maybe you have a family member who, you know, just was pulling you along the whole time and you're here and you're like, I'm not sure where I sit with all of this. Here's what we want to say to you. I want to say, keep asking questions. Questions are awesome. Jesus was one of the best question asker uh, to ever live. He asked great questions. Keep asking questions about what this all means. Talk to people. Talk to us. We'd love to chat with you about that. Keep seeking. Um, that's, that's how we arrive at conclusions is by asking questions and seeking. And, and you know what? We're so glad that you're here. We're so glad you're here. This is a great place to be, and to be because um, you can belong here before you believe. And that's important for you to know. 
The other group, the disciples, those who claim the name Christ, that, that say, hey, I'm a Christian. The big question for you is, how is this going to play out in your life and in this church? How is this all going to play out? Uh, if, if church is not about me, but it's about we, um, then here are four things that you can do to shift your thinking from me thinking to we thinking. Okay? The first one is about Easter. And we are two weeks away from Easter Sunday. And it's the biggest church day of the year. Uh, we expect this place to be packed. There's going to be a ton of energy in the room. And, uh, and it can't happen with the work of just a few people. We need you to be a big part of having um, Easter Sunday be an incredible celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. And, and so one of the uh, best ways that you can help be a part of that are these invitation cards. And, and we get these beautiful, colorful little things printed up, and they're not intended to sit on the desk out there and, and do nothing. They're intended for you to take a few and think about the people in your neighborhood, at your job, in your school, students, who may not know God, who may not be sure about Jesus, who may be looking for a place to belong. This is your opportunity to be the hands and feet and invite people to church, especially on Sunday. The statistics show if you ask somebody to come to church, uh, especially on a, a Sunday like Easter, they'll say yes. And so before you leave today, please, please, please take some of these. Just take a few of them and hand them out to people. Have the conversation. If they say no, you've lost nothing. But if they say yes, how will that impact their life? Where would you be today if you weren't impacted by the life of Jesus? The second thing that you can do to go from me to we thinking is to help with Hope Kids. If you love kids, we'd love to have you a part of our Hope Kids ministry. If you don't like kids, definitely don't sign up. Because that will only lead to legal battles. And Now, but we really, we need help. We would love eight new people to serve in Hope Kids. And we have four different areas that you can serve in Hope Kids. We've got the, um, the nursery, the little, little, little babies. We've got the preschoolers. That's the second group. Uh, we've got the, uh, the age group of kindergarten through second grade. And then we've got third through fifth graders. And so if you like kids, like being around with them, um, we would love for you to help out. Amber and I do this communion thing with the kids uh, every month. And it's a blast to go in there and to, to serve communion and have their little eyes looking up at you and to uh, help them. Now, I think, oh my gosh, I mean, these are the seeds, the early seeds um, that are being planted right now. They're going to help them grow into a lifelong journey with Jesus. It's such an amazing thing. So if you have a heart for kids and you want to help out every once in a while in our Hope Kids ministry, that would be great. We also need help with parking. Um, because our church has grown, and praise God for that, we need help um, with, from people um, to help just pe people find a parking spot. The other day, just this Wednesday, I got a text from a concerned member of our congregation, Brian McLaren. He, he texted me this picture, and apparently this woman, this woman parked in our parking lot, and she parked like halfway over a line. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, we need people in the parking lot to help protect people from getting the door dings and all this other stuff. My goodness. By the way, I'm going to need a really great marriage counselor here in about 10 minutes. 
But we need, we need help um, just getting people to a parking spot because the truth is when people pull into a parking lot at church and it seemed packed, they'll just turn right around and, and they'll leave. They'll say, it's too full. I don't want to do it. It's too scary. And so we need people to help guide them to a parking spot safely and, uh, and, and tell them where it would be the best place to park. And so if, if you would be willing to help out with that, we just need a handful of people. If you wouldn't mind doing that every once in a while on a Sunday, that would be really great, especially starting Easter, Easter Sunday. Um, and then the fourth thing is get connected into a hope group. Get connected into a hope group. We're, um, one of the biggest um, resistance, uh, pieces of resistance that we get as pastors, people say, I don't want to be a part of a hope group because I don't have the time. I don't want to make that commitment. The people might be weird, whatever the case may be. So we said, hey, let's do a six-week experiment in a hope group. It starts right after Easter. And I have been in a number of small group type settings throughout the years. And here's what I tell you. It transforms your life. Being in community, doing life together with other people, praying, sitting around the table, eating together, studying scripture together. It changes your life. And for all the people that say, oh, I don't want to be a hope group. And I know I'm getting a little preachy here. I just can't help it. But for all of you who say, I don't, I don't want to be a, in a hope group. I don't have time for a hope group. I say, stop it. Get in a hope group. Give something else up in your life that is keeping you from being in a hope group. Because if you're not in a hope group, you're missing out. And I feel really bad for you. Because this is where the life change happens. Sunday morning is great. Sunday morning is great. But it's in the hope group throughout the week when you're connecting with people. And you're sharing your struggles and you're sharing your joys where the true transformation happens. So if you're not in a hope group, sign up today. It's on your uh, Connect card. Uh, we have an uh, opportunity for you to sign up. I think we've got some stuff out in the lobby too. Do it, please. You won't regret it. Students. If you're a middle school student, high school student, looking at you, Hannah, you can serve too. Okay? High school students, middle school students, you can serve. There's a variety of ways in which you can serve. You can plug into the nursery. You can plug into Hope Kids. You can help with the host team to help make Sunday morning happen. You can help in the sound booth. You could probably run the sound booth by yourself. We need like six adults back there, but you guys understand technology so much, you can probably do it all on your own. Let us know if you'd like to plug in. We'd love for you to serve. You're a part of this body too, and an important part. Last thing, on your connect cards with the prayer requests. Um, some of you might be feeling stuck right now. You might be thinking, I don't know if I can engage. I don't know um, really where I'm at spiritually. I just don't feel like I've got anything going. Would you share that with us? Would you share that with us? And just let us know. And we can pray with you. And we can pray for you. And we can talk to you about how you're doing. We want to help you. That's our role as the church and as pastors of the church. So if you're feeling stuck right now, let us know. Write it down on the Connect card, and you can drop that in the offering basket as it goes by. And at this time, I'd like to invite the ushers forward as we prepare for our morning offering. And, you know, this time, this, this offering, uh, this time of offering, it's an act of worship, you know, where we surrender uh, a part of what belongs to me and we give it to he so that we 
can be the hands and feet of Jesus in this church and in this community and throughout the world. And the money that you give is multiplied and is being used to bless people that you won't know about until you get on the other side of eternity. So um, with a generous heart, um, with a grateful heart, um, let's go to God in prayer. Oh God, you, you work in so many powerful ways. And the work that you're doing, um, so much of it is evident. And I can look around this room and I can see the faces of the people and I can see how they have been touched by your love and your grace and your mercy. And so as we prepare to give this offering, help us to do it with gratitude, with generosity, so that lives can be touched, so that your, um, your kingdom of heaven can come from up there, down here, and lives can be transformed from the inside out. God, I'm so, so grateful for this community. What an amazing community this is. And I pray for those who are not yet disciples, that, uh, that they ask the tough questions and they continue to seek and that they connect in community with people who are and, and that they can become disciples. They can follow you for the rest of their lives. What an amazing decision that is. And for those who are already there, who are on the journey with, with you and with Jesus, I just pray that you help us to uh, shift our thinking from ourselves to um, the other people that are in this room and in this city, God. Help us to be a light on the hill. Help us to be your hands and feet. We love you so much. We love you so much and we thank you for that love. And as we journey closer to Palm Sunday, as we journey closer to the cross of Good Friday and the empty tomb of Easter Sunday, I, help, I, I pray that you help us um, really think hard about what this means and for your love. I just, uh, we love you so much, God. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.